Hello, everybody. Uh, Gary Wilkerson here with the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. We're um, glad to have you with us. We've been studying um, some, some little bit deeper issues. Uh, you know, if you've been following our podcast, we've done a lot on, uh, we call them the eight Fs, your faith, your friends, your family, your fitness, your food, uh, your fellowship, your fun, with the, um, those type of, of things. Uh, and we've sort of moved into the, maybe in a little more deeper theological realm over the past few months, particularly studying the attributes of God. And um, I saw a documentary, uh, two documentaries actually over the past few months now uh, called the American Gospel. And it really touched my heart and spoke to my mind as well. And one of the participants in that that was interviewed was, was Russell Berger and, and his wife. And they uh, have a tremendous story. And so we're, we're honored to have uh, as our guest today on the Gary Wilkes Podcast, uh, Russell Berger. Russell, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me, brother. Glad to be yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So um, just a little bit of your background. Uh, t uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, military start kind of after school. Uh, you, you were in the, were you a, a, a army or? Yep, I was in the army and I served for four years in first range of battalion. I was stationed in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, and left from there and went to college and started a family and started a business and, and uh, worked in the corporate world for about 10 years. Uh, and now I'm basically just doing ministry. So, uh, well, we'll put uh, in the uh, in the links to uh, our podcast today. We'll put some of your materials and information on how to get a hold of your podcast as well. Uh, yeah. I've listened to your episodes and they're really intriguing. I really like your your heart and your mind uh, as well. Um, and so, after military, you went into uh, CrossFit, which was uh, I think that's that's, that's that was pretty cool. Uh, I was, uh, I was your typical pastor, about 50, 60 pounds overweight and um, kind of had a lot of brain fatigue, mental, fo mental fo brain fog and mental fatigue and, um, and physical fatigue. And I got into CrossFit, uh, a Christian owner here locally. And uh, man, it changed my life in a really good way. You know, certainly the gospel is the, is the key element to a life change, but it's interesting how the physical can help the spiritual as well. And so you were a CrossFit owner for a good number of years as well, right? I was. I owned a CrossFit gym for a number of years, and then I actually ended up working for the parent company. I was a trainer for the trainers, so I ran the courses that CrossFit trainers would go to uh, when they wanted to become trainers and coaches. Uh, and then I ended up working for the CEO for a number of years and uh, spent about a decade with the company before I was fired in 2018. Yeah, and you... And you um... You know, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this or anything, but just, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's fairly well known in the public and uh, you took a stand for, for your biblical faith and stuff. Um, and that's what you, that's part of the reason you were fired or the main reason or whatever. Um, it, was it worth it? Would you do it again? Uh, yeah. You know, it's so my being, my being fired from the company for my sincerely held Christian beliefs was, uh, probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And wow. I wouldn't have known it at the time, but the way the Lord has used that since uh, he's really blessed our family with it. And it's been an enormous burden lifted off my shoulders. So we've, we're grateful. Yeah. And again, again, I don't want to spend our whole conversation on this, but um, you might take in a minute, just speaking to guys like me. Uh, I've been a pastor for 40 years, uh, head of a Christian ministry. Uh, just to kind of about our physical fitness, um, after leaving CrossFit, it looks like you're still, I mean, you're not 300 pounds and you know, you don't have triple chin. So obviously you're, uh, you're kind of staying with it a bit. Uh, and what would you say to 
Christian leaders or even Christians in general that uh, about the, the physical part of our of our walk with God. Yeah, so physical fitness is is including nutrition. So I I yeah. believe that our fitness in terms of our activity and the the ways that we try and train our bodies it's about fifty percent of it, and what you eat is about the other fifty percent. Uh, and when you combine those two things, uh, you're really talking about stewarding gifts that God has given you. So our physical bodies, uh, our ability, our physical capacity, that's, that's a gift. And how we use our bodies uh, is, is an issue of stewardship. And to use them well, meaning to stay fit and to stay healthy in order that we might extend our ministries 10, 20 years uh, is really just honestly, it's, it's honoring God and it's, uh, it can easily become an idol. You know, we can easily start to do things for our bodies, for our own glory and for outward appearance and turn those hobbies into uh, idols that suck time away from ministry rather than, than helping our ministry. Uh, but like anything else, there's a way to, to steward our fitness and our health well for God's glory and for, uh, for our benefit. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for that encouragement. Uh, how does a guy like you, uh, while you were in CrossFit and training others and working for the organization, uh, were you already sort of involved in ministry then, or did the ministry sort of come after uh, you left the CrossFit organization? Uh, no, I wasn't even a Christian until my early 20s. Okay. So I had gotten out of the military and had a family and uh, a house and a, and a well-paying job with, with a company that was booming. This was CrossFit in the early years when it was growing rapidly. And out of nowhere, I'd been an atheist or sometimes an agnostic, kind of depending on what mood you caught me in <laughs> for most of my life. And out of nowhere, I was hit really with an overwhelming conviction of sin. I began to see that even though I had all these things in my life sort of lined up the right way as far as the American dream goes, uh, I was guilty of, of all kinds of wickedness, uh, pride primarily. I, idolatry of my job that was pulling me away from my family. I had two young kids at home. My children were very small at this time. And I was leaving my wife home alone for weeks at a time because I was taking all kinds of work that I didn't need to do just to get to climb the corporate ladder. Uh, and after I was hit with this conviction of sin as an atheist, that made no sense to me. You know, I didn't have a category for rules that I was supposed to follow that I could feel bad for breaking except for those rules that I decided were rules. So, you know, my morality was really uh, my own, I thought. And yet I felt convicted that I had broken some moral law and that there must be some moral lawgiver who was holding me accountable. And so I started reading the Bible hmm. and decided uh, I'd give it a shot. And when I read the Bible, I heard God's voice. I, I saw it as authoritative. I heard him speaking through the words of scripture and over a number of years, I, I grew in my faith and my trust in his word and, and finally came to understand the gospel and repented. And, uh, and it was a slow, painful process, but I'm grateful to the Lord for how he used that. Mm, wow, that's brilliant, man. It's, it's amazing how God, his sovereignty just uh, sort of comes down and says, you know, you're mine. And you start, and, I, and usually it's an issue of sin that kind of helps start the process. So yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting to do that. Um, I'm going to kind of dig into the main subject here today is suffering and the sovereignty of God. Um, you know, ha having, you know, kind of your name plastered across 
you know, the, the press uh, worldwide about, you know, the stand you took. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then personally too, uh, uh, your wife has is, is, um, been going through a lot of physical difficulties for a good number of years. Do you mind taking just a few minutes with our audience just to kind of tell them about that sort of the personal experience uh, that your wife uh, you're facing? Yeah. Basically, since we became Christians, uh, we've faced a number of hardships, uh, physical, emotional, uh, financial, just, just one thing after another for years. Uh, I began just shortly after I became a Christian. Uh, my brother committed suicide. Uh, our childhood home that my mom still lived in was destroyed in a tornado, which is somewhat common around here in North Alabama, but it was, it was still hard for all of us. Um, we ended up moving away uh, from North Alabama to, to, for me to pursue my work with CrossFit. And around this time, my wife started having some very significant health problems. Uh, she'd been diagnosed with a connective tissue disease, and we didn't really understand how that would affect her, to, you know, to what extent that would change her life. Uh, it began as, as her needing some pretty serious surgeries. Uh, she had to have a lot of repairs done to her internal organs and stuff after childbirth with our with our daughter. And she almost bled out uh, after being sent home from surgery with an internal bleed. She she nearly died. Uh, and, and the Lord very miraculously saved her. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing story. Basically, we showed up at the hospital uh, in Birmingham, which is an hour and a half drive away, uh, after being told repeatedly that they didn't want to see her. Uh, they said she's fine and she had all these symptoms of internal bleeding but they just weren't interested well we just showed up and uh there was a nurse practitioner there that was about to let her go home because she just seemed okay and she said she felt like somebody tapped her on the shoulder and 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 she just saw my wife with new eyes and realized how pale she was uh and and this this nurse practitioner was a christian uh and so she she ran some stat blood work and and my wife had almost no blood left and uh so they did a code blue and gave her six units of blood. And, uh, and so she's, she's had a number of surgeries, you know, her, her health declined. She was, uh, at, at, at a certain point after a few years of this, uh, became completely disabled, wasn't able to work anymore. Uh, she stopped being able to swallow. Uh, she started having lots of dysfunction in her nervous system. Uh, she was diagnosed with a number of, of other conditions, uh, and basically this cascade of disease and autoimmune disease uh, took an enormous toll on our family, took an enormous toll on her spiritually and emotionally. She stopped feeling like she could really be a mother at times. You know, she's wrestled through uh, being uh, near death now where we've had very frank conversations with her doctors about how long she'll be able to live. Uh, most recently she was uh, treated at, at Georgetown Hospital in DC where I, I was there for about six months for a pastoral internship. And she was accepted into this uh, multi-organ transplant program that they do where they've basically identified that she has uh, multi or- multiple organs that have been essentially killed by this autoimmune disease she has. And they were working her up to get a transplant of her stomach and in small intestine and large intestine, which sounds like science fiction to me. I didn't even know you could do that. Wow. Uh, but- but basically through that process, they've discovered that the disease, that the underlying disease is, is more complex and more uncontrolled than they even thought it was. So they're not sure they're going to be able to do transplants for her. Uh, and it, it, it may look like we just continue to treat symptoms and, and try and give her the best quality of life she has and as, as long as the Lord gives her. 
Uh, and so we've over, over about 12 years been slowly seeing this steady uh, decline in her health uh, and have worked through that and, and trying to wrestle with how God would allow that to happen, why God would allow that to happen, uh, what it looks like when we pray, you know, what do we pray to God and ask him for? You know, because I've, I've been praying for her to be healed for 12 years. Uh, how, how am I to understand that theologically? Right. Does that change the way we pray? I mean, are we asking him for the right things? What things should we be asking him for? Uh, everything from that to how do we talk to our children about death? How do we prepare them spiritually for uh, what will likely be a, a time where they have to say goodbye to their mother? Um, and they're pretty young. So, you know, we've, we've wrestled through a lot of things. Um, it's given us a lot of experiences that have helped us helped helped me to shepherd other people through that as a, as a pastor and to disciple other people who are in some similar situations. But the main thing is that we've seen over the last 10 years where we started as healthy, fit people who weren't Christians. And now we are very tired, very physically worn down. And in my wife's case, very sick, but we have the Lord and we know that he's, called us to himself and saved us. And he's used this suffering to transform us spiritually. And my wife says this all the time, and, and it's hard to believe when you haven't been through suffering of the extent that she has, but, but she says she wouldn't change it. You know, she wouldn't go back and undo any of it uh, if she had the chance because of the way it's caused her to depend more on God and to trust him more. Wow. That's, that's intense, man. You've been, you've been through a lot of, I doubt there's a, a more difficult pain for a man, a husband to face than to see, you know, a wife or children, um, you know, sick to the degree that, that you're facing. Um, and, and yet, you know, to hear you say you went traded, you know, you wouldn't go back to, to being lost and, uh, and having, you know, the worldly goods and worldly health. Well, she says that. I sometimes say that. <laughs> in all honesty, you know, I, I do believe that. But but you're right. It's my struggles with this are very different than hers. You know, I'm not the sick person, uh, but I'm very prideful and I like to be in control of things and I like to be doing things to help. And there's just honestly nothing I can do to fix her. And my daughter, who has uh, the same disease, we think. And in uh, July of last year, lost the ability to walk, uh, is now wheelchair bound. Um, and so I have two people that I just, I can't fix them. I, and I, I just have to trust that the Lord is using their illness for his glory and for our good. And I just have to day by day, just do the best I can and trust in him. And that's very hard as a type A personality yeah. man who likes to grab problems and make them not problems anymore. Wow. Yeah. So, and how has that affected your, and maybe your wife's as well? Um, it sounds like you're saying you're drawn closer to God, even though you're you're, you're hearing, you're you're seeing He's allowing this thing. Um, some some even say God ordaining these things. I don't know, you know, what theologically where you land on that difference between that's a word, but uh, the difference between uh, you know God allowing something, God ordaining something, and this sovereign will. Like you know, I, I don't know where you land on that, but. Yeah. Regardless of that, you know, so God's in charge and that's, uh, he's doing what's doing is being done. You, and you're, you feel like you're still in a place of, I don't know, is, uh, worship is still like vital to you. Like your, your heart still chases after God or is it, are you, do you ever feel sort of like, ah, 
you know, chunk it in. Just this, this, this is not, you know, God's not good. Do you ever feel that way at all? Uh, you know, I absolutely have periods where I struggle um, with, with what's happening in the circumstances of our lives. And for me, that looks like uh, I, I tend to start distracting myself and becoming busy with hobbies or tasks or whatever I can find to, to sort of get my focus uh, off of God and off of prayer and off of studying the word. Uh, because because I just feel too overwhelmed by everything. And I, I'm, I've gotten to the point where he's allowed me to see that in myself so that I can sort of safeguard against it. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I, when I have had really low moments, uh, whether it's been with my daughter in the hospital or with my, with my wife uh, suffering and just knowing there's nothing I can do to help her, uh, I, get, I get frustrated and I get upset. And I turn away from the Lord at times and grumble against him. Uh, and, and that often looks like just, I'm just not able to pray right now. Um, but in his kindness, he's, he's always given me a way to get through that. Uh, it's often having uh, a faithful brother pray with me and for me, you know, just kind of holding my hand through that until I can pray again. Uh, having, having, you know, members in the church, just knowing that, Hey, I need to check in on Russell right now because I know what they're going through. And this is, I know this is probably hard for him. And that's, that is just a kindness of the Lord. And, and he's always drawn me back and, and, and given me a great deal of trust in his goodness, even when I can't see it. Um, and I, I think that's the key. You know, you, you said some people will say God ordains this stuff. Some people say God allows this stuff. Well, the Bible says that it's God's decree. You know, nothing happens that, the, that God doesn't sovereignly decree to happen. He is, he is ultimately in control of everything. Uh, when, when I think about the story of Joseph in, in Genesis, where Joseph's brothers uh, basically were going to kill him and ended up selling him into slavery, where he spent years in prison and, was, in a, and was, had all kinds of terrible things happen to him. You know, eventually he rose to power as, as this leader of the Egyptian government and and God used him to save all these people in the land from famine, including his own family. But when his brothers reunited with him and he forgave them and, uh, in, in chapter 50 of Genesis, it's verse 20 of chapter 50. Joseph explains that you meant this for evil. So you, my brothers, actually were doing something evil in this. And yet God meant it for good. So while they were doing something with evil intent, God was ordaining that exact same act. And his intention behind it was for a greater purpose that was only able to be seen when history had unraveled. And years and years later, looking back, you can see how God used those evil things for his glory and for the good of the people who served him. Well, our lives are no different. You know, I, I at any given point in time, may be feeling like, why would you allow this to happen, God? Why would you cause this? It's, this is too much for us. Every time I say that, a few weeks, a few months, a few years pass, and I look back and I think, that's why. You know, the Lord is kind to show us why. Not always, but he's often kind to show us how he uses evil, whether it be sickness or suffering or disappointment, uh, for his good purposes. And when you've seen his faithfulness like that, you you learn to trust him. And and if you can't see it in your own life, look in scripture. You know, that's The Bible is one big story of God faithfully keeping his promises even if his people at any given point in time can't see how he's doing it at that moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's very, there's a lot of drama in that, but the outcome is, you know, we, we always see it as good. That kind of happened somewhat in my, my life. Uh, about five years ago, I was in a, a pretty major car accident, broke my back in two places and wasn't sure I was going to be able to walk and, uh, you know, been able to recover from that and then had cancer and kind of got through that. But, you know, and like, like you're saying, you know, with you and your wife is like, I look back, back on every one of those things. And I just go, thank you, God. It's just, and I don't, I don't want to take the time to go into the results of that, but you see these internally, these great things that God has done and externally, like there was something happening, you know, in, in my ministry that he needed to sort of change a little bit. And that, that, that the, the change, being in the hospital for a certain amount of months, you know, uh, in bed for some time, you know, changed certain physical things about my ministry that opened up the door to other things that I would have done. And so, yeah, God is, he, he shows his goodness. Um, Am I correct? I think I read somewhere where your wife, uh, in her early uh, Christian life, was kind of came out of uh, uh, sort of a word of faith prosperity movement. Is that is that correct? It's correct that you've read that, but it is incorrect. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for. Okay. No, there's there's been a number of people who reviewed the American Gospel film, uh, and somehow when they're watching it, they got the impression that we came from a prosperity background. Okay. Uh, that's not in the film at all. I think they just weren't paying close attention. Okay. In the journalism world, generally it only takes one one person to misreport something, and then all, all the reporters who follow pick up the same yeah. report from them. So no, we we came from a, an atheistic, pseudo-spiritual background. Uh, we were very antagonistic to Christianity. Yeah. We didn't actually know what the prosperity gospel was until we had been Christians for some time and it started to wrestle through her being sick. And we encountered some people that basically said, Hey, look, we just need to, we just need to pray for you and you just need to have enough faith and, and God will heal you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. And yeah, uh, no problem. You know, cause, cause I, I thought maybe if she had come out of that, that would be a big change to, you know, uh, to go through that. But so, um, but you have obviously, you know, I've listened to your podcast and you've obviously tackled this issue uh, and it's personal for you. It's it's like, you know, you certainly don't want somebody like, you know, this foul thing that happens where these people walk up to you and say, if you just had enough faith, you know, you'd be healed or right. uh, making you feel like, you know, this is, this is not part of, you know, God's not like this. You know, there's even books out now that I think there's a new book out with even without the title, like, you know, God didn't make me sick. And, um, you know, um, you know, that's, that's a tough subject. Uh, you know, you're personally facing it, but yet you're, you know, you're, you study theology and doctrine and you're pastoring. And so, so you have not just an emotional take on this. I've heard some people respond to, you know, like the, the this hyper faith stuff uh, emotionally, like say like, well, no, you know, my wife is sick, you know, you know, get off our back, you know, but you, you don't take it just emotionally, you take it biblically as well. Right. And so you have, what do you, what do you, can you just generally give me your take on kind of what's happening in the prosperity movement, why, uh, why is it so unbiblical? You know, uh, what, what, what's really wrong about it? Yeah, fundamentally, it's a different gospel. Wow. Fundamentally, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the prosperity gospel is a different gospel. Uh, it is, it's an abomination. You know, it is anathema, as Paul would say. It's, it's not the gospel of scripture. And the danger of the prosperity gospel is that unlike other false teachings, like we, we would say, you know, Islam or atheistic materialism, this false teaching uses the Christian scriptures 
and has enough truth mixed in with it that it is very, very easy for uh, well-intended but misguided Christians to fall into. And so it is, it's a very dangerous teaching. Uh, typically, prosperity teachers preach from the Bible. They, they pull verses from both the Old and New Testament, and they give a twisted and, and misinterpreted mis, uh, uh, sort of spin on those verses that presents the, the subject of faith as this spiritual power that we can wield to achieve material ends. Mm. And so those material ends are often presented as, as prosperity in terms of wealth and goods and homes, or uh, sometimes it's a little bit more spiritualized and presented as physical healing, as that's the goal that you can achieve if you properly apply and use faith, which, which they define as this spiritual force that we can, that we can basically uh, work up in ourselves and, and use to manipulate the physical world around us, mm. uh, which, is, which is entirely different than how the Bible speaks of faith. But faith is a trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And our faith is often very weak and it is often very small. And that faith is not strengthened by our working up our emotions and trying to build confidence and saying mantras in our minds and declaring certain things. That faith is made strong because it's in the right person. It's in Jesus Christ and he is strong. And so Faith also within scripture is described very clearly as being a gift from God himself. It's not something that we in our own ability uh, craft or build in ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's a gift from God. Uh, and so not only is, is faith misre misrepresented, but the gospel itself, you know, when we look at the blessings of the gospel in the New Testament, I, I think of the letters of Peter and Paul, when they talk about the good things that the gospel gives us, those good things are Christ. The, the gospel is good because we get united to him, to, to God, to Christ himself who saves us from our sins. And through that uniting with him, we are with him for eternity. We get the spiritual blessings of eternity with him in an imperishable and an undefiled and an unending life with him for eternity. But when you hear prosperity preachers talk, the good news of the gospel is you don't have to be poor. You don't have to drive a bad car. You don't have to hurt physically anymore. You don't have to have cancer. And so these, these spiritual blessings that are in Christ that are the priority of the Bible, if you, if you read your Bible, the priority of the gospel that Jesus preached on earth, the priority of the gospel preached in the New Testament epistles, and the priority that's, that's shadowed in the Old Testament is our spiritual salvation and eternity with God. Well, when you hear prosperity preachers teach, the gospel's priority is right here and right now. It's You're going to live your best life now in mm -hmm. comfort and in health. And what that does is it takes things that are actual blessings of the gospel. We will have those things in eternity with God. And it applies them to this life now, which the New Testament never does. And it elevates them to a priority that those actually become an idol because people are serving Christ to get the good stuff that they're promised here and now, rather than to get him, which yeah. is what God, the gospel is all about. Yeah. Wow. So they, who, who wouldn't sign up for, you know, you go to a church and, and the pastor's promising uh, health, wealth, prosperity. I would even add uh, self-esteem. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. God, God props up your self-esteem and your dreams and visions will come true. You know, even if it's not cars and houses, it's, it's you know, there, there, there's a whole new wave of prosperity preachers now that really have shied away from talking because they know they're caught in a trap when they start talking about cars and houses because people, a lot of people don't get, end up getting the cars and houses right. even after being in their church for 10 years. Right. So they're kind of, some of them are backing away from that. Uh, and they've shifted into this thing like of self-esteem and feeling good about your future and yes. hope and destiny. Yep. And, uh, and it's, it's the same trap, but just different in a different language. Um, you know, so it's, it's really troublesome, but I think anybody would sign up for that kind of, you know, any pagan would come in and say like, yeah, sign me up for that. I'll, I'll take this Jesus thing. If it gives me all that stuff, you know, but, uh, but to see your life, you know, my life maybe you know, maybe they're going to have to see Jesus, right? You know, they're going to have to see the cross and the resurrection and, and um, th things that are maybe not of this world uh, to, 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 to enter into a, that covenant with Christ. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a powerful message that you're proclaiming there. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Well, it, it's, and it's not my message. It's, it's the message of scripture. You know, it's, it's the foolishness of, of God in the eyes of the world. And that he would glorify himself through weak people, through people who are beaten down with poverty and disease and sickness and persecution, which we see all through the New Testament and all through the, the history of the church, that God is glorified in what is weak by worldly standards. Yeah. And he does that because if you strip away anything in the world that might be a source of pleasure or pride or idolatry, and God is still enough for you to find joy and peace, that, that is immensely glorifying to him. It's, to use a silly analogy that I, I bet most of your listeners would understand, if you know the, the story of the Grinch who stole Christmas, it's kind of like that. You know, the Grinch sees the Who's down in Whoville rejoicing and singing every Christmas, and he thinks, I know what's causing that. I'm going to go take all their possessions away. Hmm. And yet at the end, that's what, that was not why... They were singing in joy at all. It was something deeper than that. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is something deeper than our physical possessions and our physical health and our worldly ambitions and our self-esteem. The gospel is that we get peace and reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ at the cross. And you could be completely sick and have nothing and be thrown in prison and still have joy in that. And God uses those instances to draw an incredible glory to his name. Mm, that's, that's so true. My wife was singing uh, a little worship time this morning, uh, an old song. It's probably before your time, uh, take the whole world, but give me Jesus. And, uh, and that just means so much to, to, to us as a family. Uh, and uh, you know, as you're saying that, I think the old Testament story that uh, most clearly articulates that I, I would suggest would be a, uh, Moses, when, when God says, you know, you can go in the promised land, uh, but I'm not going to go with you. And, and right. he opts out and says, like, if you're not going to go, we don't want to go. You know, there's, yeah, there's milk and honey in there and there's prosperity and there's blessing. But if you're not there, I'm not, I'm not going for it. So uh, it's, it's really sad that, uh, that uh, I, I think the message you're preaching is so right on. And yet, you know, you probably understand this. You, you know, you're in the minority, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's, there's something to be said again for the fact that prosperity teachers, number one, they exist on a spectrum. So you'll find prosperity teachers that are incredibly bold in the things that they'll say. Uh, you know, they'll say, 
give me your money now and God will bless you with a, with a, uh, a, a job salary increase or a new car. Just these wild claims that even a lot of Christians who, who don't know their Bibles well will say, you know, I don't think that's in there. Excuse me. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, you'll have churches that are otherwise orthodox. You know, they, they do seem to preach the true gospel, and yet they'll lean to something sort of like a soft prosperity by always talking about positive things, uh, by always focusing on sort of the, the blessings of the gospel that you get uh, separated from Christ himself, by never preaching some of the hard truths of scripture, never talking about suffering, uh, never praying in a way that, that we might recognize that it could be God's will for someone to suffer faithfully in sickness uh, or in disease. And so by shying away from these aspects of scripture, you sort of invite in a soft prosperity uh, that really doesn't protect your people or build up their immune system to be able to, to discern a completely false gospel should that creep into the church. Uh, and so number one, there's, there's this spectrum that we need to be aware of. Number two, a lot of these prosperity teachers do use scripture. And, you know, I think of uh, one of the, the verses in Isaiah 53, talking about the suffering servant, you know, looking forward to Christ. Uh, Isaiah says that uh, we are healed by his stripes. So by his wounds, we will be physically healed. And we see that picked up in Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, when he applies that to Christ in his suffering on the cross. And a lot of people will say, look, you can't just spiritualize that and say that this healing is all spiritual because obviously Jesus was going around healing people on earth. Doesn't Isaiah mean that if we believe in Christ, we will be healed? And the answer is yes. Yes, you will be physically healed. But if you understand the way the kingdom of God has broken into the world, to it that is already here. Mm -hmm. You see Jesus say, my kingdom is at hand. And then there's an element of it that is not yet, that will only be here in full power when Christ returns and consummates his kingdom. And so we in, in this world right now experience a taste, a foretaste of healing in our spiritual regeneration and the sanctification of the spirit working in our hearts. But we don't get full physical healing until we have our new and glorified bodies in, Christ, in, in the, the eternity that we'll spend with God. Uh, and anybody who doubts that, you know, this this sort of over-realization of the promises of healing that we will have for eternity, but don't have now. If you doubt that, just, just ask, why do we die? Yeah. You know, why, why do these prosperity teachers who claim that you can be physically healed right now, if you have enough faith, why do they all die? Yeah. It's because we don't fully secure those blessings of physical healing in this fallen world until Christ comes and fully redeems everything. And then mm. we will. Yeah. Would you equate it to the same thing, uh, healing for our bodies as, as uh, you know, a justification, our sanctification, where, you know, we're not fully sanctified until, right. until heaven is a, is a similar thing. We're not fully healed. That's uh, right. Until heaven. That's, and to me, that's ultimate healing is, is, yeah. is heaven. That's, uh, you know, everything, everything on this side of it is, you know, even if there's these miraculous healing stories, they're, they're, they're temporary because those people that are even Lazarus, Jesus raised from the dead and he died again, you know, and so. Right. First John chapter one says, he who says he is without sin is, is a liar. Uh, you cannot be free of sin on this side of eternity. 
And Christians will, through the power of the Spirit, changing our affections and our desires and our hearts, see progress as we battle against sin and grow in holiness. Uh, Christians should see those things. Uh, but no, just like we won't be physically healed to perfection on this side of the cross, we will not be completely free of sin on this side of, uh, sorry, on this side of eternity. We won't be completely free of sin on this side of eternity either. Right. That's, that's true. The, um, we've been studying in this, on our podcast for the past several months, uh, attributes of God. Uh, being, having gone through what you've gone through as a family, um, in light of the prosperity movement, maybe only taking and not just the prosperity movement, gen churches in general, I think, only taking certain attributes of God, his goodness, his grace, his kindness, his long-suffering, his mercy, and leaving out certain attributes, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the justice of God. Um, ha have you, would you say your life experience is drawing you to a fuller understanding of some of the attributes of God? Uh, always, yeah. You know, I suffering is one of those things that, if, if anybody asks me, you know, how do I grow in my knowledge of God? Uh, it's, it's, it's through his common grace in, in the word and spending time studying God's word and the way he's worked through salvation history in the Old Testament, the New Testament, trying to get a biblical theology of that story and how he displays his character through all of it. Uh, so I, so I would, that would definitely be my first answer, but I think suffering is actually a way that you grow to understand God better as well. Um, so the experience of going through something that is, that is very emotionally, spiritually, physically hard and having to trust in God and to trust in his faithfulness and his goodness, despite the circumstances that you see right in front of your face and your own heart, which is full of doubt and selfishness and pride saying, this can't be happening. This God couldn't be behind this. And, and yet continuing to look to his word and seeing that he always is, and he's always faithful, and that he declares, you know, in the, the Old Testament, we see the declaration that does calamity befall a city unless the Lord has done it. You know, he is, his hand is on everything, including my wife's disease and my daughter's inability to walk. Uh, and he through that remembering that he is kind and he is faithful and he is good and that he loves us in, in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. Um, a lot of that is not, is looking past circumstances and trusting in his character despite what's right in front of our eyes. Um, and that's not easy. And we need to pray to the Lord that he give us the strength to do that. Um, but I think of uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it's verses 16 and 17. He, he says something that sounds a little crazy at first. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. And he's, he's commanding the church, essentially, give thanks in all circumstances. And when you hear that as give thanks for all circumstances, that can be really challenging. But that's not what he says. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Mm. And I think the key to understanding that verse is that your circumstances are going to always change. Things could be good for you now. You could have uh, health, wealth, and prosperity, and eventually your body's going to get old and break down and you will die. Uh, you may become financially bankrupt. You may, your house may burn down. You, you may lose a loved one. Uh, you may lose your job. Despite what happens in those circumstances, God is still who he has always been, and he is still good, 
and he is still faithful to his promises and you can still trust him. Mm. And so when we give thanks in all circumstances, we are giving thanks for who God is and his steadfastness. Yeah. And I think, I think if anything, suffering has taught me that um, and helped me to be better at doing that. Mm. Well, that's, that's powerful. You're, uh, Russell, are you, um, are you pastoring now? Are you involved in a local church uh, in a pastor role? Yeah, I, I was. I was a pastor at Sixth Avenue Church in Decatur for a, a few years as a as a non-staff pastor, and then I came on sort of full time. But still, the, the church was pretty small and wasn't really able to to have me and another full time pastor on the books. Uh, and so, I ended up taking an opportunity to go and do a pastoral internship with Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. That's cool. uh, so I was there for about six months, and then I worked for his publishing organization that's sort of part of the church there called Nine Marks. I worked for them until June of this year, and now we're back in North Alabama, and I'm a member of uh, Baptist Church right by our, our house. Uh, Lord willing, I'll get a chance to pastor a church again. Right now, with our family situation and our medical stuff, it's, it's, just, it's not a good time for us, um, for me to take on that kind of responsibility. Of, of shepherding uh, a church. And so I don't think it's, it's a good time for that, but I have been leading a Bible study at my home with some friends and members of the church. So yes. The reason I was asking you that was, you know, um, uh, if you don't mind me saying, so I'm 62, you're, what are you 30 something or 30, 30, 30. <laughs> <laughs> you're so busy with family and responsibilities. You don't yeah, last had a birthday, huh? Uh, so you're, you know, you're a young guy, but I, I, I want to just encourage you, man. You, there's a, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word kavod, the, the weightiness, uh, the weightiness of God, the, the thick presence of the cloud, you know, and I think sometimes when we've been in God's presence and particularly maybe suffering some, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, he shares his glory, not, not sharing the glory in the sense, but, you know, that we, we are partakers of his glory. I just want to tell you, man, you got, you got a, for a young man, your age, you're like, you know, the Bible says David knew more than his teachers uh, you're done well, man. You, you've got a lot of weightiness. You got some weightiness on you. Uh, the glory of God is on you. And, um, I, I, you know, you know, I'm not here to bash other people, but, you know, I have talked to some people your age that are in the faith and prosperity movement and, you know, God, God help them and pray for them that they, cause they're, they're just missing that weightiness that, that I see in your, in your life. And the reason I asked if you were pastoring, cause obviously you have such a great message, um, you know, you have the Bible, obviously, as, as everybody does. But, you know, sometimes our life married with the Bible gives us something to say to people because we, we kind of earn uh, uh, some stripes in a different way. Um, so, yeah. So, so, but in your Bible study and in messages like this and your podcast, you know, you have a great opportunity to, um, you know, not, not just approach this thing of suffering and sovereignty of God uh, through head knowledge of, of Scripture, which is important, but the heart knowledge of being living the Scripture out in, in your daily life. Um, a couple last questions for you. Uh, uh, favorite books? Do you have, uh, you, know, you know, anything you're reading right now or, or oh, one yeah. the last 10 years that's been the favorite? Or where would you go yeah. with that? So uh, it depends on the subject. I, I have a stack of books that I just give out to people all the time. I think Christians need to read more good books. Um, but uh, one of the subjects that I'm very passionate about uh, is the local church. I think evangelicals in large part have forgotten what a local church is. They've, they've failed to understand the way scripture talks about the local church as prescriptive, not just descriptive. So I think, I think the Bible tells us 
how a church should function, what it should look like, what offices it should have, how it should uh, exercise discipline, both corrective and uh, discipline and, and, and discipling, which is where we get that word from, so building up one another. Uh, and, and oftentimes today in the evangelical world, churches tend to look like performances that happen up on a stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's very little uh, of, the, of the ministry of the individual members. And, in, in, you know, if you look in the New Testament, there's these one another verses. There's, there's dozens of them. Uh, you know, be hospitable to one another, bear one another's burdens, love one another, speak truth to one another. That Those are written to the church. And that is a ministry that we have as members of a church to, to engage in as we, as we basically help one another on our way to heaven and to hold one another accountable to live in light of the gospel. And that doesn't happen when your church is sort of structured like an event where, you know, just have a big thing on stage and you show up at a, you know, you pick your time, kind of like going to the movies and you sit in the dark and you don't really meet anybody or you don't engage with anybody. Uh, there's no accountability. There's no church discipline uh, as in, as in Jesus teaching in Matthew 18. So uh, a great beginning book for really looking at how we should think about the local church. That's a little book by uh, one of my mentors, Mark Dever, who I already mentioned called what is a healthy church. A little bit, I mean, it's a short read. You could finish it in a, a weekend. Uh, a little bit uh, more in-depth would be Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, which is it's a thicker book that kind of unpacks the same material at a little bit higher level. Uh, but it, both are really good places to start. Yeah, yeah, I read the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I thought it was, thought it was brilliant. Especially, I'm not pastoring now. I'm, I'm working full-time with the missions organization. But uh, when I was pastoring, that book was very, very helpful. I, w- I would highly recommend that as well. And what about uh, not in a non-local church, uh, any book on uh, doctrine or scripture or on uh, anything else coming to, well, to mind? Well, for your subject matter, you're talking about the attributes of God. I would highly recommend J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. I don't know if you've read it. Uh, Jim Packer is a faithful brother uh, who actually just passed away not long ago to go be with the Lord. Uh, it's, one of, it's, it's one of the books of you know, the last half century of the evangelical world. That was one of the books that, you know, should be on everybody's shelf. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, a fantastic read. Yeah, I read it when I was uh, 18, my first year of Bible college, and it made no sense to me at all. I, was just, <laughs> I have no idea what this guy's talking about, oh, my this and that. Uh, and then I read it again about 10 years ago, and it was just like it drove me to my knees and to tears. It was just like I'd read a page and just have to put it down. And I like to mark in my books, too. I like to underline things. And that book has, like, I, I probably could write a book just on the notes I put in the outlines uh, in the margins of the book and it was really really brilliant and uh, we were recommending too it's a little bit of a heavier book but we're recommending christians read it just uh just to stretch themselves uh, it's called the existence and the attributes of god by stephen charnock who was a puritan writer back in the i think 1600 something and uh you got to work for it but man there's nuggets in there that uh to be honest with you even packer probably learned from charnock uh because yeah. I, I think there's some stuff in, in there. So there's anything from about 1850 and, and back. And uh, sometimes those guys, the way they wrote, it is hard to get through. Yeah, 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 it is. They, they uh, you know, not only the, I think they had more, you know, they took time with stuff. You know, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, how, how you try to avoid maybe some of the stuff you're going through by busyness and stuff. And I think that's a tendency in our American culture. Yeah. And um, I think they avoided that to a large degree. They didn't almost have, like they didn't have smartphones. Uh, almost kind of like, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then their education system too, the language that they had. So, you know, you know, that little hymn goes, what language can I offer? And, the, and those guys had 
uh, a depth of the English language that, you know, so sometimes I'll get, and I'm sure you do as well, you get this, you get that you're reading a scripture, you get the sense of the awesomeness and the glory of God. And then you try to tell somebody about it. You just don't have the words for it, you know, just, uh, uh, but I think that's why I like the older, they come, you know, the dead, the, the old dead guys that are the old dead oh, yeah. theologians. They, they have a lot of free time to sit around and think about the Bible in ways that we don't today. So they're great. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Man, Russell, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, tell, tell us uh, briefly a little bit about your podcast. I'd love for people to start listening to that. Yeah, so we, uh, we have a podcast called the Defend and Defirm podcast. We sometimes call it DC podcast for short. It comes <laughs> from uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. We want to defend the gospel on the one hand. So there's a heavy emphasis on apologetics. Uh, and we want to confirm the gospel on the other hand. So there's a lot that's written, uh, sorry, that we, that we have in terms of our content that is encouraging and, and designed to build up the church. Uh, and so we cover topics that range from atheism, to the cults, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. Uh, those are some episodes we have planned in the future to the prosperity gospel, which we have a long series on, if you'd like to go check out on our Facebook page. Uh, and then we've recently started a series on critical theory, sort of trying to work through some of the, uh, the ide ideas behind what's going on in this cultural moment that we see in our society. Uh, and, and so, and everything in between, we have a, a huge range of subject matter. Most of our stuff is on Facebook. Uh, we actually took about a year off from the podcast when I was going to do this internship. And we just started back up a few months ago. And, and so we've, uh, we've restarted the Facebook page. We have a YouTube page you can follow us on as well, or just catch the audio on, on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, but we just partnered with the producers of the American Gospel Documentaries, uh, who, have, who have basically thrown a bunch of support our way in terms of video and audio and equipment. And so we have a very... Uh, a very professionally produced podcast now. So hopefully uh, we'll act our age and, and, and make, make good use of that. Uh, but we, we're really encouraged by what they've done. And we've seen a lot of fruit from this podcast and, and the Lord's obviously using it. So uh, we, we strongly encourage anybody out there who has more questions on this stuff to check us out. Good, good. And we'll put a link on our uh, site too, to, to, your, to your podcast. Uh, Russell, thanks again, man. Uh, keep up the good work. You know, there's an old saying, um, some people have to say something and some people have something to say. Uh, I really feel like you have something to say. And so I really recommend people check out your podcast real quick. Thanks, Russell. Appreciate you being Thanks, with us. Bob. Yeah, thank um, you. We appreciate it. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.